Welcome to the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the Founder Pack Podcast, where your host, Brendan Rod, brings startup stories from experienced founders and other functional experts to help current and future founders get inspired and grow their knowledge with quick tactical insights. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hey, Kirk. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you for for taking the time. I really appreciate it. We were just talking off camera and you mentioned uh, you're working on a product release. So I kind of know how your week is going. (laughs) Usually I ask, (laughs) how's your week going so far? So maybe you want to kind of open up quickly with just how that's going and any kind of recommendations for any other founders working on product releases? Yeah, no, it's been a, it's been exciting. So we officially launched in the end of May. So it's been a couple months and then we're doing kind of a, not really a relaunch, but just like a product, a big product update that adds a bunch of stuff. And, but we're doing a first, um, our first product hunt launch in, um, I think on the 22nd, so in about two and a half weeks. And then, uh, yeah, it's been, I mean, the product's looking good, but then you got all, all the marketing stuff and just getting, I mean, I've, our marketing person's been looking through just making sure everybody's involved in the right communities and, and can like, I mean, get the word out. And there's just so many other logistics around the scenes that we've been looking at. And that's, that's almost more work than the, just getting the product launched right now. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that I was speaking with the previous guest a couple of weeks ago and like we were discussing how many founders actually try to shortcut the strategy process because they, I don't know, the VCs are putting pressure for results and like everyone Mm -hmm. wants to hit the ground running, but actually you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot if you don't take the time to invest in, in strategy. So it sounds like you're in the camp of let's take (laughs) our time to figure out how we go to market, who is our customer and really understand the ecosystem. It's a tricky world. I mean, a tri- just a tr- whole tricky scenario. I mean, we we've tried a couple different things. I mean, the product hasn't really changed, but the messaging um, has kind of gotten refined. And and honestly, I mean, as a technical founder, uh, it's it's the hardest part. I mean, just to understand how to sell and and just even even hire. I mean, I know we said we'll talk about that a bit, but just getting the right sales sort of first salesperson in or first I mean salespeople in. And um, I mean, for me, that's the hardest part of the business. Is I mean when we meet someone, they're like, oh, okay, this is really cool. We get what the product does, but it's like getting from zero to actually that meeting is like the hardest part. And and that's what we continue just to refine that whole process and learn. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I mean, that's, it, it's not like writing code. It's, it's a more soft skill just to like figure out how to, how to get that process working. Yeah, I'm excited to d- dive a little deeper into mm-hmm. that, but I think it's a great segue to just introduce yourself yeah. and uh, your company. For sure, for sure. Um, let's see, yeah, I've been a uh, kind of career software developer, um, had uh, I mean, gone for, for undergrad and grad in, in computer science and ended up at Microsoft um, after my master's and um, worked on some really interesting projects like uh, 3D virtual worlds um, back in the day, kind of early days and, and some of the stuff kind of pre-web technologies that were, were there at Microsoft and ended up starting a video transcoding company um, the, after I left. So I've always been 
kind of around media software per se. Like I've done image processing apps. I've done real-time video. Um, we sold into a lot of the major broadcasters um, with my company and, and had that for about 10 years um, and then sold it. Um, and then just started to diversify into other areas. Just wanted to learn new technologies and spent about five or, I guess about five or six years um, being like a VP or CTO at a few different places. And, but also still wrote code kind of nights and weekends on, on kind of um, actually a podcast discovery platform that I had an idea for. And that technology actually became the starting point for this company. And so it was an idea of the media that we all consume. There's so much that's lost. Like when you talk about things in a podcast or um, things like uh, somebody will mention a company or somebody will mention an article um, and it just kind of goes by so quickly and there's no way to capture that knowledge. And so I, I, it was the funny quick story as I was commuting from LA to San Francisco for my job um, every week for six months. And I listened to a ton of podcasts on the, and I drove. And so I started to be like, how can I, there's so many things that are mentioned that I immediately forget <laughs> when I get to where I'm going. And just that, that whole idea was just eating at me um, for, for doing this. And so, but then I ended up thinking this idea can be applied to any kind of data. I mean, around any enterprise um, from a Zoom meeting to, I mean, there's 3D data that they're capturing, there's video, there's images. Um, and that was really the idea for Unstruck Data, which is my new company. And it's all about basically a knowledge platform from media. Um, and then when we talked about the messaging and that, um, we've, we've refined it now that it's what we call geo-enabled enterprises. And so we say that we, everything's in time and space. And so everything kind of relates to the real world in some way. And that's a, the technology can pretty much do anything, but it's, we've really refined it to say, look, if you have some sort of geospatial bent, some index to your data, like you have a facility or it's agriculture or it's, um, I don't know, like a wildlife management or something like that, it works great. Um, and so because you have that space element to it. And so, um, Maybe someday we'll expand, I mean, to do other areas, but that's our, um, we've refined it now. And, um, and yeah, that's what, that's what we're leaning into today. Thank you for the introduction. And I'm yeah, really sure. excited to dive deeper into how this mm -hmm. all came about. So I was initially going to maybe start with funding, but I really wanted to skip to product <laughs> and market before I forget, which is fine. We can circle around. So you also talk about bringing products to life mm -hmm. from the ground up as part of your bio. So perhaps you could walk us through, you know, yeah. what does your process look like when bringing products first from product conception? How do you go about hypothesizing yeah. like the market before it exists? And then perhaps your framework on how you go to market once you've done your mm -hmm. sort of research, etc. I'm familiar with a few frameworks like the jobs to be done framework yeah. i'm not sure if you're familiar with that yeah. if you are yeah. would love to hear how you use that so having said all that i'll, I'll leave it to you yeah. to take it in any direction no for sure yeah i mean i'm i'm less of a i'm, I'm a more pragmatic product person i think in terms of um i mean i'm i tend to sort of uh come up with the ideas and kind of kind of I, I see it almost like sculpting, I guess is, is kind of the way where it, it's almost an artistic element rather than a, um, there's no one rule, um, to, to kind of follow. And I think, so I, I was listening to another podcast yesterday and they talk about the different roles of like, there's a visionary, there's a craftsman, like typically these founder kind of roles. 
And I think I lean a little more visionary and, but then I can also implement too. But I think a lot of times I'll come up with the ideas, but we kind of have to make them real. And so I think there's, there's a lot of, I mean, I love the competitive research part of it. I mean, I'll always be Googling and I mean, researching just constantly about, I mean, competition, similar companies, I mean, just things that where there's overlap, even just ideas that we can um, pull together. But then, I mean, we've never really like written the deep spec. I mean, we kind of wrote a, a requirements, like we have a, a original, maybe five page document. That's almost just like a, a bullet point list of here's for the next couple of years, all the things that we want to make this capable of. And so we use that as like a touch point. Um, we've tried to, I mean, do like a mission statement. And I mean, now we have one like in our investor deck that it's probably changed 20 times, but I mean, that's the hard, it's, it's almost, you almost waste too much time trying to get the, the, the words right. And yeah, sorry and, to interrupt. Yeah. How important is that? Do you think for an early stage startup to invest in like all the fancy brand mission statement, yeah. elevator pitch. Like, do you think that should be left for later or, or is it I think important? Having a crisp, the elevator pitch, I think is important. I think just at least, I mean, even if it's not for investors, for your team, because when you hire people, it's, I think it's easy to assume as a founder that came up with the idea that everybody gets it day one. And it's sometimes I think I found myself like not explaining the value as well, because it just is, I've been thinking about it for five years. <laughs> and I think there's there's that ramp up time as, as you bring people onto the team, you have to do a good job of kind of bringing them into the fold and having them understand the value proposition and and not just be like, hey, you're just a cog that's getting plugged in to get code out the door. And so I think there is value there, but I think to me, I don't lean so formal about it. And I think that's where like, I don't get totally bought up. I mean, it's like, oh, do we have to have like a perfect notion document or some, I mean, I don't, I don't like um, waste too much time thinking about that as long as I can make sure everybody's on the same page. So I think that's more the pragmatism part of it. Um, but I think there's, I mean, I think you want to also, I think you, you've got to be flexible. I mean, we've changed not the the vision and the map the macro kind of picture of this really hasn't changed i mean it hasn't changed in five years since i've been thinking about it but we've added new areas and new avenues and it's like a tree that like the trunk is still there but maybe the leaves or the the smaller branches have changed over time and so i think as long as you're on that front and people can kind of see especially when you're bringing up new product features they're kind of understanding where you're trying to get to um and I, I think that, I mean, I have a great product, uh, like we kind of have a little, we call it product council. So it's my head of engineering and product, um, our product owner and myself. And so we kind of collaborate on that. And the product owner does the kind of day-to-day -day story writing. And she's great about, I mean, she has a UX background and kind of feeds that side. And then my head of engineering and product, we kind of had his own both sides of it um, because we're still small. We're just 10 people, but he kind of owns the day-to-day -day of just getting the product out the door. And then I'm kind of thinking about like six months ahead, three, six months ahead. Um, and, but it's, it's great because they push back on me too, where they're like, okay, well, no, that's too much for now. Or, I mean, you're not thinking about it. Right. And so I think having a team that can collaborate really well, even in a, I mean, even telling me I'm dumb, I mean, kind of in a, in a nice way. I mean, I, that's actually when, when they, when they don't agree with me, it's actually more interesting when they do. Because then I'm like, okay, what am I missing? And and it's great to have a team that's not just a bunch of yes people. 
I think that's super important as well. That makes a lot of sense. So perhaps you can like walk us through the research phase. We could jump between product ideation and the market. I don't know if you do them in silos or do you do them in parallel, like talking to customers while you're figuring out the product. What is your method? Yeah, I mean, it's... It, I would say it's sort of a rolling sequence, so kind of in parallel where, I mean, we'll, so, so the idea, a lot of the idea for this company was that podcast idea, but then I was at a few different companies where we we're trying to build a data pipeline or data platform to do the same kind of thing. We were getting a bunch of sports videos to get um, into the hands of data scientists and trying to extract information and have a data platform, or we were doing it for drone information. So I started to see these patterns of, why is everybody trying to build it themselves? Like why from scratch they're having to build this? So we had the idea of, I think there's a platform here that they could just use out of the box, kind of like a snowflake data warehouse for like SQL kind of data. Why isn't there something for video and image and all this other kind of data that these businesses are now trying to take advantage of? And I think also I came from the media entertainment world where it was more commonplace to deal with these kind of data for a construction company. I mean, it's kind of new. But I had the ability to look and go, it's actually not that unique. It's, I mean, or at least it's been done before in a lot of these other toolings in other domains that were familiar to me. But honestly, the people I work with, they weren't that familiar, especially around some of the media formats and things like that. It was new to them. Um, and so part of it was looking at, okay, let's, let's find a pattern over here that we can apply over here. And, and I, so I think I had a lot, I came to the, the start of the company with a lot of ideas and plans. And so we didn't have to do a ton of ideation up first. We basically wrote like a, a document that um, sort of just described feature set. And then I have a great front end team that I could basically just throw. I'm not a, I'm not a good front end dev. So I was like, okay, here, like you guys just go figure it out. Here's basically what we need. And then um, the hardest part, I mean, we did have to ideate on the design process of, I mean, that's an area where if you don't have customers, you're kind of just in your own little world in your company, trying to be like, put yourself in the mind of a user. Um, and I think we, I mean, we could have done better at getting it in front of early, just early prototypes, early mockups in front of customers. And I think we were a little slow on that. But on the other hand, we had a lot of good innate knowledge because um, to one point about the team, we um, most of us have worked together before. This is our third or fourth company together. And so we all kind of know how each other thinks and like and so i think i could also just be like hey remember when we worked at x company how we did x like kind of make it like that (laughs) or something or or do it better than that so we did have a bit of a boost coming from kind of our our specific scenario in that case but and you one point i want to follow um you mentioned like jobs to be done and i've looked at i mean like the amazon structure of like writing this the the two pager and kind of sit, I mean, getting that in front of people. I've looked at like shape up, um, which I actually like that concept of kind of putting together your thoughts in a concise manner. And we've attempted it every once in a while. Um, we actually now use um, product board. Um, and so we're using that. And so our product owner writes almost a shape up style document where it's kind of like more prose and then, she, we have a meeting, we have a kickoff meeting, and then she kind of documents it in product board. And then that kind of becomes a living um, thing. So that, that's what we, I mean, we, um, I really like product board a lot. We use it for road mapping. Um, and that just, uh, I want to make sure I, I finished that question that you had before. 
You no, know, I appreciate it. So with that in mind, are you tapping into places where people are looking for something similar and then trying to educate them on what you're doing? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I'm glad we did this a year after I started the company because it's it's been probably the most painful part um, of learning how to do this is it's it's really interesting. I mean, because in a, in a, when you're we are developing a new thing, I mean, there's not there's really not pure competition for what we're doing. And so that makes it a thousand times harder. Um, and, and a lot of what we compete against is do it yourself. And so people are writing Python code to, I mean, analyze documents or do computer vision. And then they're whipping it together with some, I mean, some other technology to, I mean, productionalize that, that information. And, and, but the problem is, it's like people are so used to their manual ways. It's like, I mean, it's, it's, what is it? The quote about, I mean, if you would ask customers, they would ask for a faster horse, not a, not an automobile. Um, I think we're trying to leapfrog people into the next generation where that's the hardest part is, is I think they're not even aware of the capabilities that we can offer. So they, they, number one, don't even think to ask and Number two, it makes SEO almost impossible because nobody's going to like Google for what, like we originally called ourselves an unstructured data platform or an unstructured data warehouse, sorry. And it's, nobody's going to Google for that. So it's like, I mean, and then we kind of said, look, we're, we're more full stack. We're really more of a data platform. And now we've kind of been really trying to get that messaging around of, I mean, we're kind of more of a data portal per se, because where the UI is almost more important to people, even though there's this whole platform beneath it. And that's the hardest part for me with marketing is, I mean, not having a marketing background is, I mean, how do people buy and how do people like, like if I, I mean, I do a ton of competitive research and search and look at blogs and look at all those things, but how would somebody find us? I mean, and that is, I think the hardest part of, um, getting into those customer domains and, and learning that process is, um, is really, I think that's been a, it's been an evolution. And, and I think, I mean, that's a, that's one of the biggest areas for us. So on that front, like if we will take it back to the jobs to be done framework, yeah. how are you finding the people that are doing it by themselves and then yeah. How are you educating them? Where are you meeting them, basically, mm -hmm. to educate them? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's honing in the messaging has been interesting. I mean, so last year, I mean, I kind of had a thesis, like I said, of uh, we're just not even going to bother with SEO. We'll put up a little web page that has a little information. We're not going to lean into that. So because I just don't think like I would never find us <laughs> if I was a, if I was a customer. So that's where I started to think about the podcasts um, get, and and I've done, I mean, a bunch now that, and some even lately, like um, got, I mean, I've gotten customer leads from it just people heard me on a podcast and it's, I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute, but I mean, there, there, there's value there. Um, we haven't done a ton of content marketing, um, but then event marketing and just actually trying to meet people face to face. Um, honestly, we, I mean, I think we would have done a lot better pre COVID in that front, but we did do a couple, um, we've done like three or four and I've done talks, um, that I always get people coming up after and going, Oh yeah, we have that problem. Like, I mean, this is, and that, that for me is, is market validation. I mean, it's not product market fit, but it's validation. And those are the kind of things I think it's like, okay, how do we increase those number of touches? 
And that's what I think is hard because, I mean, we can't spend a zillion dollars on going to every conference right now. But um, I think those are the challenges that I find is how do we replicate those? I mean, those discussions and also the getting the messaging kind of you said back to the mission statement of how do I, how do you come up with something that you can say in 20 words that gets people to want to have a 10 minute conversation? Um, I have a problem where, I mean, I've had a problem where people get it after the 10 minute conversation, but they don't get it after the 20 word conversation and, or they're, or they're thinking too specifically about their current world where we had somebody who was doing surveying of mines underground and they were thinking about the 3d data they were capturing. And then we started to talk about, well, we can manage, I mean, the documents about that, the reports about that. We can manage images about it. You can put in Zoom meetings where you discussed it. We can cross-reference all that information. And they kind of blew their mind. They're like, whoa, I'd never even thought about that. And even though that's, they can use it and the power's there, how would we have even sold the product there to them in the first place if I hadn't had that conversation? Because they're going to look at it and it's just their eyes are going to glaze over and they're not going to, they have never considered even that next generation of what we're trying to offer. Um, and I think that, I mean, we're just in that chasm now of like market um, awareness, I guess you could say of just how do you, how do you build the market? How do you educate? I guess you say the market. Um, and it's a, I mean, it's a slog. I mean, as a, I think it's because the product's been, I mean, in a really good place for the, a couple, I mean, I don't know. We, we started showing it off the fourth quarter last year and then got some feedback and then we kind of launched for real at the end of Q1 this year. Um, but it's still, it's like, I mean, just getting into customers' discussions um, is still a learning process every day. Within that context, what would you say were like your top three um, marketing yeah. best bang for your buck as you were like going from zero customers to, you know, your first couple? Yeah. And what marketing investments really kind of, do you recommend to other founders in a similar stage? Yeah, I mean, I'm I am a big fan of the podcast just from a from a branding kind of founder branding you could call it. Um, like speaking on others spe- or running yeah, your own. Okay. Um, it, speaking on others initially, um, but I think once you get um, at least a history there, I think I mean we've been thinking about starting our own. Um, at some point, and it's a lot of work. I mean, obviously, you know, but it's, I mean, I think it's something I'd love to do and just get other companies, like, because we have a lot of partner companies that do like a, a computer vision company or a, or an ML, a, a NLP company or different things that are complementary to us. And I would love to have their CEOs on and we could talk about more collaborative industry things. Um, I think it's a great, I think as a marketing thing, I mean, I've, there's companies, um, data.world is a company I follow that has a great podcast. And I, I mean, I learned about them mostly from the podcast, really. And then um, just how they have really, I mean, engaging found like guys that are on there that, I mean, talk about the company and the industry, um, becoming an industry expert via podcast, I think is a great thing. Um, I think the, I mean, and to be honest, I mean, we didn't do a great job of finding the market kind of in other ways last year. And I'd hired, and this is where the classic founder, um, do you hire, when do you hire your first sales lead? And like, how much do you do founder led sales and being a technical founder? I hit a point where I was like, look, I mean, I'm still writing code every day. Like I, I have to delegate something and I tried to hire in a sales lead and it just didn't go well. I mean, it just never really got the product really didn't get, I mean, or didn't get enough top of funnel going. Um, 
And it was just a waste of time. I mean, and so it's, I mean, I mean, there's positives too. I mean, I'm not saying that, but it was just in the, I mean, in this world, time is really, and I mean, money is the killer, but it's time is, is the biggest killer because I mean, you end up just, I mean, being too close to the end of your runway. And so I think that is something to be really careful of, of cutting things short. I mean, if things aren't working, like every month counts, um, and then, I mean, and we've also then, I think after, let me think, at the end of last year, um, basically made a change there, tried to go more to, to founder-led. And, but then we also leaned in harder on product because of some feedback we got. So I didn't have the time to really do as much in Q1. And so we ended up kind of in Q2 this year, now really leaning more on, on outbound marketing. Um, and to your point, so the, the things that have been working for us, and this is where we were sending out, we, we do marketing emails um, and we we're trying to get that, that outbound prospecting going. We've tried two things. We've tried um, outsourcing prospecting, the, the lead gen, outsourcing lead gen just to get lists. And then we would craft the emails and send the drip, uh, drip campaigns. Um, for a while, they weren't sticking very well. And I, I finally, and I finally really had the thought of they're just too generic. Like if I re- if I would, like read these, I would be like, I really don't know what this is. Like, it's just like, what's a data platform? Like what's an unstructured, like it's not talking about solutions. It's talking about product. And I ended up finally taking over marketing and just saying, look, let's do it this other way. Like we have to be more kind of more, a little more interactive and just storytelling about it. And we had to make another, another hiring, like a change on the hiring front. And so I finally was like, look, I'm going to do the prospecting. I'm going to find the leads just to get us going again. And I mean, honestly, then like within a week, we had people responding to emails and it's just such a, you really can't take your eye off that ball um, too long where if people don't get the story in your team, they're just going to sit and spin and for too long. And it just took refinement of our message. Um, And one of the things I did was, I actually sent out the first mail in the sequence was around a podcast. I said, Hey, I was just on this podcast and we talked about this and here's a couple of quotes I've gotten from customers. Um, does this sound like problems you have? And that has, I mean, the numbers are still not, I mean, significant, but they're positive and we could see it an uptick. And so I think leveraging the podcast as a way to then drive marketing outbound email and things like that. Like we were able to see people were clicking on the podcast. So we were driving traffic to the podcast. Um, I think it's, I mean, that seems to be pretty engaging. And the other thing we're going to start doing is more like, I'll just record a loom video of the product um, maybe every week or something like that. If here's a new feature, here's something cool and link that to emails. Like it's something we're going to do too. And so I'm less a, I think I don't want to lean in toward heavy copywriting as much because I really think with, with audio and video, um, I think we can help drive that and, and consume it in a faster way because I think people get bored with reading so much. Like I subscribe to newsletters and I don't read like 90% of them, but I mean, even though they look interesting when I click, but I'll watch a 30 second video. I mean, and I, I think it's just a bit more of a, uh, a twist of, of how people are consuming this kind of marketing. That's really interesting. I, I want to get your take uh, on yeah. the email stuff because from my experience, a lot of the IT and tech folks are inundated with email and they hate yeah. being 
emailed when they're not opting in. So how did yeah. how did you find that experience and how did you cut through the noise and the anger <laughs> of getting into people's inboxes without it's, them, you know? It's tricky and, and also a good point. Like um at least in my small experience, LinkedIn emails don't work at all. Like, I mean, we got zero response from anybody. But also I know that on LinkedIn it's a lot spammier. Like I I mean I don't I mean, I get a lot of inbound requests for like remote dev team support and all these kind of things and IT and, and I, I think, I think in, I just did it. It was more like an AB test. I was just curious. Like I basically took the same lead message and, um, it did an email, like 50 people with same titles and everything and got zero response. And, but from emails, we've gotten a handful back just in this, in this first campaign. And so I think it's hard. I mean, I think. Like, and the other thing is, I mean, with cold calling and things like that, like I hate the phone personally. <laughs> I mean, like I, I always argue with people is like, I don't think people, I mean, I'm, I'd be surprised if there's anybody that answers the phone in our, in, in this industry, but I guess there are people that must. So it's like, I don't even consider cold calling in this world, like in my world, I mean, a, a thing. And so you got to use email or you got to use some other approach. Um, Maybe I'm maybe I'm just naive, but it's it just like I would never answer answer the phone like to I mean to a vendor I mean and it just always goes to voicemail. And yeah, so, they're like different levels of intruding and like I yeah, think yeah. owning someone out of the blue is like the highest level of I know, intrusion. I, I, <laughs> I, I just can't stand that, and so it's like I mean I would much rather get an email. I mean, but then also, and I mean I don't get. I don't get bombarded with email. I always have to archive a bunch of stuff in the morning, but I still get a lot of inbound stuff that is interesting. I mean, and so I'm not so overwhelmed. Um, I think there's, I've met people that are really terrible inbox managers that just have like 10,000 things in their inbox and they can't keep track. And I, I think it depends on who you're sending to that. If there's somebody that like, they'll see the day's email and they'll kind of deal with it and then they'll archive it. They're going to react better than the person that just, feels like they're underwater with email and that your extra email is just another like um, piece of hay on the haystack or whatever the um, thing is. So I think, I mean, I had a thing where literally we sent out a drip and I got a guy scheduling a meeting for the next morning. I mean, and it was, and he was in the UK. Um, and I, I, so we, uh, he's had to reschedule a couple of times, but I, I, I'm hope to meet him after uh, next week. But, um, but just the fact that, I mean, there was enough signal there of putting out that that first email got people just doing it. And I put a, uh, we use Savvy Cal instead of Calendly and just somebody, I said, hey, just schedule me. I mean, you want to chat? And I've gotten a couple people doing that. So, and we were, I mean, we were just getting nothing for, for months from all these outbound. And finally, I just put my foot down. I was like, look, we have to change this message. Like, this is just like, it's just going nowhere and you can't just keep throwing <laughs> throwing money at it. I mean, sending the same message out. So when you say LinkedIn email, are you referring to sales navigator or the organic inbox email? Um, let me think. What did I do? Was I doing you know, no, I think I think it might have been messaging. I think I might have DM I might have tried to connect and DM them. Um, I've tried that, but I in mail it was sales navigator. Those were the fifty I tried. Yep. Good to know. I, I've been fairly successful with That's good. Uh, yeah. Sales Navigator, but maybe every um, industry or or persona is different. I it was, don't know. It was a small test. It was a test of fifty as well. Sure. And, right. And, um, 
the one thing, I mean, just if, if you're interested, the, the way I've been doing the prospecting now is starting with Sales Navigator and then using Apollo.io, um, which is a great way to, to capture those leads out of Sales Navigator. And then they do enrichment to grab the emails from them. And then we have a we use a, a small CRM called Nutshell um, that's kind of more of a lightweight, easy to use CRM. And so then I can export from Apollo in a nutshell for our drip campaigns. And we just refined that process over the last month or two, and it's working pretty well. So, I mean, it's as a dev, like there's times you're running a build or there's things going that you're just kind of waiting to have dead time. And I'll just start, I'll just jump over to Sales Navigator and start adding people to lists. And so I'm like, I don't need to spend money on Upwork when I can literally just sit here and like, like look at titles and add people. It's it's a dumb place to throw money at. So I finally just changed that over and I just multitask on it and um, and just keep our our like prospecting pipeline full right now. Yeah. So you answered my question. I was gonna ask you if you outsourced like the emailing cadences and the the list building stuff, but it sounds like yeah, you're not doing it. Nutshell has a really nice strip campaign built in there's nutshell marketing um it's pretty we were on hubspot and i'm just i mean <laughs> don't get me started because i'm just not a fan of hubspot for the value um we wasted so much money on hubspot the first year and uh, and i finally put my foot down again and was just like this is stupid like why are we paying like a grand or two for something that i found a replacement for for 100 bucks a month and it's just it was just i got I mean, and this is one of those things is I'm not a sales expert. I mean, I'm, it's not been my forte. So it's like you trust your team to some point when they have more more experience. But my gut said, we're not going to get the value for it. And so I think it's a live and learn. I mean, as a founder, like now I'm like, okay, maybe I know more about sales than I thought I did. And I'll, I'll go with my gut next time. But it's, uh, I mean, you got to you gotta have good people around you that also can be pragmatic about costs too, because it was just overkill for our stage. I mean, I was that's a great tool probably. I mean, if you're a much bigger company, but for us, it was way overkill. Oh, that makes sense. And then maybe closing this out, in terms of your prospecting strategy, yeah. do you look to go bottom-up, top-down, combination of both? Um, what does that <laughs> yeah. look like? So it's pretty interesting. I mean, and so recently, so I was on a, on a podcast that is a geospatially-oriented podcast. And... It was really interesting that I, was, I had a ton of fun in this one. It's called the Mapscaping Podcast, if anybody cares. But it was um, immediately I got like five leads just from that podcast, and so I, which I I had maybe gotten one or two from previous ones of just people hitting me up on LinkedIn or whatever. And I started thinking like, what is different about what I'm saying here? And I realized it's the community, and it's that people in the geospatial community have the data problems that we're solving, but a lot of times they're not coming from, they're not thinking about it in that way. They're like, well, we have all this data. It's just our data we do, we work with on our day-to-day job, but we can't manage it well. Like we were having trouble finding things. I mean, storage is a problem, just extracting knowledge from that is a problem. And so when I talked to the first few people, I was like, oh, wow, like this is, this is a segmentation, like light bulb for me. That, I mean, so what we did is we actually tuned the messaging literally from that one experience where I said, look, let's carve this down. Like we've been going way too wide, focus on exactly the same product, but just target messaging at geospatial professionals who have data management problems. And that was how I tuned the prospecting. And I just started going through, I literally took the titles of the people that contacted me 
looked at all their titles from who jobs they'd had a couple times ago, started there. And it's, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, I don't know. For me, it's it almost seems fun in a weird way. Like because you're like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like, here's a new title I can try. And then I can like, I mean, oh, I didn't know there's a manager of spatial data title. And it's just, it ends up just being like an exploration. And that worked. I mean, and that's when I I can come up with like a hundred leads a night, just prospects a night of just um, putting into a list. And there's new type, there's new job roles that I've never even thought about um, that are related to what we do. And they're all over the world. I mean, we've met people in Australia, we've met people in the Yukon and Canada. Um, and that's where I started to get really jazzed about this as a as kind of a a vein to to really go down because there's um and there's we have there's a a company, last thing I'll say is there's a company that's um, the, the large market share leader in geospatial. And every one of our people that I talk to is their customer. And so we can kind of be a sidecar to them and, and basically just sell into their customer base and say, look, we're not trying to replace it because we can't do everything they do, but here we can be a bolt on to help you with this problem. And it instantly can get us an avenue to, to go sell down. And so that was a really big light bulb for me. And I mean, I wish I'd figured that out <laughs> Q4 of last year, but I mean, that's, that's been a big change in, in our marketing strategy. You're like reading my mind because I was uh, <laughs> wanting to ask you about communities. You mentioned it in the beginning of the call and yeah. perhaps we can wrap up this segment of the show with, with the community piece. So do you look for communities to um, add value to connect with people like Converse? Do you have a community strategy or is it, was it just like a one-off based on that podcast? Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, the, um, I mean, I'm, I'm in a bunch of Slack communities that are, that are, uh, I mean, from that aspect, um, I think, I try and be engaged in in those just to kind of like, I mean, there's everything from geospatial to machine learning to data products. And um, I mean, honestly, a lot of that's just keeping up with what's going on in the industry. Um, I think I we don't do a ton of community, like we don't have like our own Slack community or anything like that. I, I think over time, I'd love to get there because I think, I think this is a common problem. And it's that chicken and egg where you kind of need brand awareness for people to care about you as a company. Um, and if we started a community right now, we'd probably get like two people in it. I mean, but I would love next year to have like the geo-enabled data community or something like that. I mean, whatever we call it, I think would be interesting. And I think I think we leaned in too much on the nose of this unstructured data concept, which is where our name came from, of um, which was just a little too direct. But now we kind of abstracted that out a little more. And I think there's, it now fits a community basis um, where it's basically just people dealing with data about the real world, perceiving the real world. And, and that can mean a lot of things. Of course, have building your own community is more of a burden, but have you tried to go into existing communities to sort of uh, not kind of yeah. take over, but just sort of try to be yeah. helpful and <laughs> make a presence yeah, and yeah. Make connections. Does that work? Um, it's hard. I mean, it's like being on Reddit and you can get called out for being too salesy really fast. Like in, so I've, I kind of learned that I, I never got bit by it, but I've seen people do it where they try and engage with the community and people, I mean, kind of don't like it. So I, I try to just be 
more self-branded in those cases where maybe I'll help people out with, I mean, answer, answer questions and stuff, but it's more about me than the company. Um, and I'm, I'm not a big personal brand person. So like, I know a lot of people try and drive their personal brand really hard. Like I'll do talks and stuff, but it's not, I don't really, I don't, I don't lean in so far on that, but I think on the Slack communities I'm in a lot of times, I mean, I'll just help answer questions. Like there was a, a metadata schema question somebody had the other day on one of them that I actually happen to know. And so just trying to be helpful um, and answer people's questions. And then it, I think it's, everybody says like, give as much as you take. And so I think a lot of people join these communities and just, I mean, just take, 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 like, I mean, it's classic stack overflow sort of community where you're just asking questions, but not answering anything. Um, so I think just be aware of that kind of thing. And, um, and then, then if, if you really need something, maybe people will be aware of you and, and be a I mean, more open to help. But I think less, and I think just, but networking in general, I think has been helpful. Like I've just, I've been around a number of years and just having people in the community, that kind of community, like I use LinkedIn. I think I was sort of the obvious thing is um, I'm a heavy LinkedIn user. I read it all the time, all day long, just for um, not, not all day long, but, <laughs> um, but like it, uh, basically reading it uh, just for um, customer discovery and, um, and understanding different, um, different business segments and just um, always trying to follow different people that are in interesting areas. I use that, I mean, a ton just for learning about the market and business and keeping up. And then I share links with the team, like when I see an interesting article and stuff like that. Awesome. Yeah, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn and kind of creating your own community within LinkedIn just through building relationships, actually meeting people face to face, collaborating, etc. And I've I've seen there's there's a couple like um, people that I follow that are like LinkedIn trainers that help you kind of build a brand on LinkedIn and kind of t- help refine that. I've never used one, but I mean it exists out there, and it's I've thought about it. I mean to say like, hey, I mean, I mean some of the obvious ones are like have a good profile picture and have good like make sure you write every day or every week. But um, there are, I mean, supposedly at least from what they report, it, it moves the needle. I mean, there's things you can do that. Definitely, like if you're content heavy, you can, I mean, you can really get seen out there. So well, I'm sure we'll do more with that next year. And we're, we have a, a video series plan where we'll start dropping like 30 second or a minute videos um, every couple of weeks about the product, little demo feature things. And then we'll just start posting that on Twitter and posting on LinkedIn and hopefully drive more more collaboration in the community that way. Thanks. I really appreciate all the the insights and recommendations. Yeah. Are you ready for the rapid yeah, fire? Section? <laughs> cool. I love this part. So we'll have five quick questions and maybe a bonus one that came from uh, my community. Someone had some DevOps questions and I know yeah. you're pretty strong in that area too. So question number one, how did you get your first 10 customers? At this company, we don't have 10 yet. <laughs> so that's an easy answer. Um, okay. <laughs> but, uh, but it's, uh, I mean, all of them, uh, all the ones we have are organic. And so it's just um, event marketing. I mean, is honestly the the majority of them, people we've met at um, small conferences that we've gone to. Great. And then how do you get inspiration to make big business impact decisions? That's a good question. Um, I kind of get obsessed by ideas and I think it's just, I mean, this, this whole company has kind of been this thing that I've been working on for five, I guess, six, almost seven years now, really in some sense. And so I just start to, it just eats at me. And I think it just becomes organic in that way where it just finally gets to be too much that I'm like, look, I gotta, I gotta go do this. Like, it's hard to work for somebody else. I gotta go build this. 
what have been some of the most impactful growth making decisions for your company? I mean, I think that, I mean, the biggest decision was, I mean, how, um, how to raise funding. Um, and just kind of going through that, it was the first time I raised a seed round. We had bootstrapped my last company. Um, so I think that was, I mean, it, it's good and bad because I mean, it, it puts a lot more pressure on, um, when you do that and it really changes the game from just trying to focus on product. Um, now you have to think about, I mean, it's uh, fundraising and all those other, um, impacts. I think, I mean, from an impactful sense, I, I would have to say that. And how do you measure as a founder wearing so many hats if you've had a good week or not? That's a good question. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think the product is almost the easy part right now because all of us are, are really good product engineering people and we know that we can week by week see the product getting better. And I mean, I try and sort of stay out of the way of the, the team and just kind of give advice when I can. But I think it's on the sales and marketing, it's really how many discussions do I have? every week. And that's really been my KPIs. Like, I mean, am I on three calls at least a week? I mean, with, with a potential customer, um, and on the fund we're raising around right now, which is a seed extension round. It's like how many, how many investor meetings am I having and, or what, what the feedback is. But I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's communication based how uh, sort of how often is communication happening on the sales and fundraising side. That's kind of my, my index there. What are some of your favorite reading materials right now? I'm not a big, like I read on, um, on my phone, probably just blogs and stuff like that. I, I just don't have time for books right now, but, um, I'm a big podcast fan. And so, um, so I think, I mean, it's if anything, or just like audiobooks. Um, but, uh, I tend to, I mean, listen to a ton of pod, I'll just kind of flip this into a podcast answer, but I think it's, it's, uh, I mean, just, there's a ton of great podcasts around data and around entrepreneurship and, um, I mean, I just, uh, I consume so much information and there's folks like Harry Stebbings, VC podcast I love, and just, just learning other industries and other roles that you're never aware of. It's, it's such a great way to consume, um, information. Awesome. And then last question, bonus question, which yeah. came from my community. Uh, so Jeff asks what, and, and I don't know all these terms maybe you do, so forgive me if I screw it up. But the first one is easy. What are the preferred and best collaboration tools for developers? That's interesting. I mean, we use Slack um, heavily. I mean, it's not obviously developer-centric. Um, there's a podcast that I listen to. There's a product called Tuple. I think it's T-U-P-L-E that's a pairing um, for collaboration between developers, and, and the guy has a great podcast. Um, and so... I would, I mean, I, from that aspect, I think that's, um, I've seen people use that, use that a good bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, our, our team, we just live on Slack, um, and, and that aspect. And then, um, we don't like, and, and just the classic Jira and all those kind of, um, tools we use for dev, but nothing, nothing special other than that. Simple is better, uh, yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Um, and then I think this is a follow-up to that, like best product tracking example, Jira, for doing retros. I'm not sure what retros means. Oh, but. like a retrospective. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, we've tried a lot of different things. I mean, it's, I mean, or over the years too. I mean, um, the company that makes Jira has a product called Confluence. Um, that's kind of a wiki type thing. Um, I don't know, I've used it, not a big fan. I know a lot of people love Notion these days. I know some of my product people use Notion. That seems to be pretty popular. Um, I mean, even, I mean, uh, I've done some stuff with like Slack statuses where people kind of just post information and kind of into a channel and that becomes your archive. Um, 
I think it's, there's no one right answer. I think different people have, um, there's a, there's a, something called linear, linear.app that I've, it's kind of a Jira alternative. Um, if we were starting from scratch, I'd probably look to that. Um, that would, that would probably be my last thing I'd recommend is people seem to really love it. It looks really streamlined and sweet. And then his final question, clarity from a, from building a product perspective, if that's enough for you to go on, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, product perspective. Um, I mean, I think it's clarity. I think I'll, here's how I'll, I'll parse that is, I mean, I think, is it, is it, can you see, do you have a high confidence on what you're going to build next? Like, are you clear on the path forward? I think it's an interesting part of, it's really easy to kind of lose sight of the forest for the trees as you're kind of getting heads down with, okay, what are we going to do next? What are you going to do next? And then you, the other flip side is like, you don't want to flip flop the team. Like you don't want to be like, oh, I, I want to do this this month and then this this month. And so we, I mean, we go back and forth with the team and they're good about being like, oh, you're kind of flip flopping. I'm like, well, but there's new information. I mean, like I'm always coming at it with new data they just remember the last thing I said a month ago. <laughs> and so I think you have to explain yourself well to be like, okay, well, here's new information I have. Now maybe we prioritize this over this. And and also it's, it's I talk a lot about signal of like, if we have enough signal, we can make better decisions. And in areas that we have a lack of signal, we kind of have to guess. I mean, or we have to just go in our gut with our own data. Um, and that's where marketing is really hard is we just, my biggest thing, we just didn't have enough signal. Like we, we would have like onesie twosie people kind of hitting us. And I'm like, you can't extrapolate that. I can't say that, oh, that's enough signal to realign ourselves. Um, and so I think it's super important to understand about making decisions based on signal. If you don't have enough signal, you kind of have to go with your gut more than the data. Sometimes signal is directly related to resources and budget. Mm -hmm. Like if you can't make enough noise, then you don't get the signal ratio, yeah. like the noise to signal ratio. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, if, if you, even if you don't have a lot of signal, you don't have a lot of noise either. And then you're, it's just your whole lot, like everything's too low. And it's like, that's not real data. And so I think we, um, it's just really good to be aware of, especially at this early stage, extrapolating from a lack of data and not just, I mean, not just jumping into, into things. Awesome. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. I, we, we didn't even get to touch on the other topics I wanted to <laughs> cover, but no maybe we'll bring you back uh, for round two. two and three if you're interested. One day. <laughs> sure. Thank you so much again. If anybody wants to connect with you, pick your mm -hmm. brain, where's the best place to connect? It sounded like LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn's the best. I'm happy to, I always accept them I in requests if they're not, <laughs> if they're not spam. And, uh, and so, but yeah, I'm happy to chat with people and I mean, anything about data or anything about, I mean, fun, I mean, company stuff. I'm, I'm always help, um, happy to help um, other entrepreneurs and, and developers. Well, thank you again, Kirk. It was a pleasure and um, best of luck in your adventure. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Founder Pack Podcast with Brendan Rod, part of the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share the channel and ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.